Today, I talk to Matthew Allen about ecumenicalism. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for joining us on Preach Impediments. Today we're tackling the word ecumenicalism, a big word with a huge impact on the church today. Before we do that, I want to introduce my guest, Matthew Allen. I'm excited to have Matthew on the program. He is a preacher in the Dayton, Ohio area for the Cornerstone Church. He's also the owner of Spirit Building Publishing with his wife, Becky. Their website is spiritbuilding.com, and you'll find some great resources for your efforts in studying the Bible. Let's get started in our conversation today. Well, our topic for today is ecumenicalism. Talk about a big word that is hard to understand. Ecumenicalism. Uh, you're going to have to look up how to spell that one, I think. Yeah, you have to say that three times in a row really fast. <laughs> it's a big word for sure, but I, it is a word worth discussing. Yeah. And it's not a word that is a biblical word. You don't find the word ecumenicalism, at least in uh, my translation that I use, I don't find that word. Yeah. But it is a religious word, and it's often used in pulpits and in Bible classes or in articles that people might use. So it's a good word for us to dig into and explore and even look at it from a biblical perspective to try to make sure that we understand what ecumenicalism is. That being said, that's where we begin our podcast. You know, Matt, how would you define ecumenicalism? Well, basically, uh, it, ecumenicalism is a, is a movement that's been going on about the last 75 years, really, here in the country, as a movement is, is, that uses this term. Uh, in fact, I, a little research I did on this earlier today uh, says you can actually trace the idea behind this movement maybe back three or 400 years. But at least here in the United States and in the West, uh, Western Europe, uh, the movement that we we're kind of familiar with, uh, really has been around since 1948, give or take. And it, it's the idea that uh, all churches need to unite. It started out uh, really as a, as a movement that was uh, going to try to unite Protestant and Catholic churches. Uh, and, and soon it went from there. There were elements within the movement that said, no, we, we need to unite all uh, churches. Uh, and, and so one of the things that you've seen in some of these uh, more national movements with ecumenicalism is is uh, an inclusion of Hindus and Buddhists and uh, New Age and other religions where we all just come together and unite in, on what we can agree on and forget the rest. So it's a movement, and uh, the whole premise behind the movement is to create unity among religious groups that would typically, if you really dug into the details, they would be a rather diverse group when it comes to their belief systems, their doctrines, their practices, uh, basically put aside the differences for the sake of being one group cooperating in some way. Would you, is that how you would understand it? Yeah, I, I believe so. And I, the one difference I would say is most doctrine 
inside the ecumenical movement is, is taken out of the, the picture mostly. Uh, the idea here is, is that we, uh, for example, among Christians, uh, those who identify as Christians, to, to unite on belief in Jesus. And really, that's all that matters. What is the motivation behind ecumenicalism? Well, you know, I, I think it's the desire to be one. I think sometimes we can just, when we talk about movements like this, we only come at it from the negative. And I don't want to do that today so much as I want to look at the spirit that drives some of these individuals and, and, and say, we, as members of the Lord's Church, need to try to be emulating some of these mo- basic motivations to be one. We, we kind of pride ourselves on division sometimes, and I, I think there are some good traits here to, to, to look into and, and follow, obviously within the boundary of Scripture. So one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 133. I'll, I'll read it real quick for the listeners. How delightfully good when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. So you've got this principle here in the Psalms that if we can dwell together in harmony, that's a good thing. So does that mean ecumenicalism is a good thing? Well, it depends on how you want to define it. Um, I think, I think on the, obviously on the surface, um, yeah, it's a good thing. I, you know, passages like that, that Psalm you just read, Psalm 133, think of what Jesus prayed on the night before his death. John 17, his, his prayer is that they all, that's us, they all might be one as he and the Father are one. So, so the idea of unity and coming together is biblical. In fact, I, I would say if, if Jesus is praying about church unity on the, in the final hours before he's put on the cross, I, I think it's a very important topic. It's something that we need to give more consideration to. So I remember back in my, my early years as a preacher, uh, one of the things I did when I first started preaching, it was in a pretty small town in Florida, and I went and had some conversations with other preachers, pastors, even the priest at the local Catholic church, and uh, had some good sit-down meetings with them. And one of the reasons I did it, here I'm a young man, I'm in my 20s at the time, and I thought, I, I've got things to learn. I've, I've not been doing this from a, a practical standpoint hardly any time at all, so let me go and see what are these other people doing what's working, what's not working, let me learn the community. And I had a conversation with one of the uh, religious leaders of one of the other groups. And I, I asked him, I said, would you mind sitting down and studying with me? I'd love to learn more about your background. And his response to me was, Adam, I, I don't really do that. Yeah. And I yeah. said, what do you mean you don't do that? He goes, I have no interest in getting into a religious debate with you. He was determined that I was approaching him from a, hey, I'm going to teach him the truth standpoint, as opposed to genuinely actually wanting to learn something. His Mm -hmm. response to me was, we need unity, not uniformity. 
That was the word he used. He goes, some people like steak, some people like chicken, and that's fine. It's hard to say. I've had similar experiences. I have done some work out in Iowa before with uh, as, as a guest preacher and set in with the located preacher there in some uh, breakfasts with uh, area preachers and pastors from the community and had similar discussions. Uh, and one of the things I've, I've learned in, in those type of discussions is doctrine is not that important. The unity that they're calling for is much more of an emotional type of unity uh, where there's a refusal to discuss doctrinal differences. And, and really, the, again, the idea is that we're just going to pretend those things don't exist, that, that those differences aren't there. They may be there, but we're not going to talk about it. I've noticed oftentimes whenever you, I've had invitations to join ministerial societies in a local place, uh, they'll, they'll have rules about how the ministers are supposed to function together and one of the first rules is always we don't discuss differences. Yeah. And, and in some sense, like you said earlier, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There are good works we can do with people from various religious backgrounds. And you don't have to dig into theology or dig into uh, core beliefs. That is a good thing for us to do to be able to function with other people. At what point, though, do we need to move beyond practical ecumenicalism or just that effort of working together despite our differences in order to have the discussion about us coming to a unity regarding what we believe and what the Bible teaches? Well, I, you know, I, th I think uh, that's going to all be undergirded by the type of relationships we have with people. Um, it, it, if we are just a very superficial, we're meeting once a week at a, at a breakfast or uh, at a meeting somewhere, uh, the opportunity to, to get into those types of discussions may not be as, as prevalent. But I, I think as we get to know people and spend that one-on-one -on -one time with individuals, uh, the relationships there, that trust is there, they know that, that you know, you've not come in loaded for bear and you're going to shoot them with both barrels and, you know, and, and all of that. I, I, I think when, when, when that trust is, is, is exhibited, then uh, effective, positive discussion can take place. Hey, this is Adam. I hate to interrupt, but I wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will likely enjoy my books that have come out by Eden Hollow. Head over to EdenHollowBooks.com and check out some of the books you can pick up today. Now, let's get back to the topic. Does that mean you would define the concept of unity significantly different than ecumenicalism? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I, I think the, the goal is to have the same attitude uh, and spirit among us where we work through those differences to unite on the Word of God. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's a matter of what does the Word of God say? And if I have been beholden to a belief uh, and after honest study been found that, you know, maybe, maybe this is not what it needs to be, I need to be willing to lay that aside. And that should be everybody's desire. So that brings me to uh, the passage, you know, one, of the, one of the unity passages that we talk about in Scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. 
One of my favorite little details of this passage is found there in verse 3. I want to start reading back in verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So maybe that's the uh, maybe a mantra for the ecumenicalism movement, that bearing with one another in love concept. But it's this next phrase that I particularly love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I think that's where sometimes ecumenicalism departs from the concept of unity, is that we place so much emphasis on bearing with one another in love that we forget about the unity that exists because of the work of the Spirit. Not because we made people feel good or comfortable. Right. It exists because the Spirit gave truth, and that truth, it is one set of doctrines. And it goes on to say that. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you're called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Unity that exists the, the unity of the spirit that exists through the bond of peace is this one this, one that, one this other thing. Yeah, and I, I think those passages there, Ephesians 4, 4 through 7, those are the core elements that we unite upon. Um, that, that's, the, that's the foundation, really, that, that brings us together. And, and, and the other thing is, I, I think, with, what he says there in verse 3, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, the idea here, and you think about other passages Paul writes, Romans 14, uh, where he talks about pursuing peace uh, for all things that build up. Uh, I'm paraphrasing that. But think about the, the Spirit that's there and, and, and the understanding. Again, all of this is keyed on the desire of uniting uh, around the Word of God. That's our standard. That's our, our basis. And as we all work in that. We have to be patient with each other in, in helping each other come to the same understanding. That is not something that happens overnight. Um, that, that takes, that in some cases takes years. In fact, it, it may never, as far as getting us all on the same exact page with some of our beliefs happen, but the idea is that what brings together is the spirit behind it we're not ignoring the differences. We're earnestly working through those differences with the desire of uniting upon the Word of God. And that's where I think sometimes ecumenicalism fails the goal that it initially had. If the goal was initially unity or working together or being one people. Which is commendable. Yeah, absolutely. If, if the goal is for us to be one people... Well, then we can all get behind that. that. That's what we should want. That's what Jesus wanted. But if the goal is to make people feel comfortable, well, now we're no longer in any way pursuing unity. We are only pursuing comfort. Yeah. And that, that goes too far. Absolutely, it does. And so it comes back down to this, this again, this, this earnest, Heartfelt. Look, I don't think we can get too far away from that passage in John 17 uh, of Jesus' prayer. Uh, listen, when a man is dying, the words he speaks are among the most important of his entire life. 
Those are the words that we, we, we really hold on to and, and choose to, to listen and apply. I remember in my dad's final hours having a, one of those kind of conversations, and that was a dear, special event for me, listening to him talk and, and just give me some life advice, and, and I'll, I'll never forget that. Well, here is Jesus in John 17, uh, making it his prayer that we all be one. Listen, that we can't get too far from that. I think sometimes we get content uh, to just be comfortable and, and not really focused on what really brings us together. Um, and and that sometimes that's hard. Paul, that's why Paul says here in verse 3 of Ephesians 4, making every effort. We've got to take the initiative. Several years ago when I was in college, a group of uh, friends and I had gone to St. Pete to go ice skating. It was one of our friends' birthday, and we decided to go ice skating. And we happened to see Hulk Hogan sitting there uh, at the ice skating rink. We were all super excited. We thought it would be the coolest thing in the world to get our friend's picture with him because it was his birthday. And so we went over to Hulk Hogan and we said, hey, will you come take a picture with our friend? And he looked at us and went, no. <laughs> and that was it. Like he, he turned back to the wow. ice and he watched what was going on on the ice. And we were like, oh, What's funny is about 30 minutes later, he walked over to our group and he goes, let's take that picture. And, and he explained to us, he was there to watch his kid play hockey. You know, the occasion wasn't right yeah, for him yeah. to be doing PR work. The occasion wasn't right for him to be out there with the public. He was there for a purpose, but he created the opportunity for that occasion afterwards. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, what we fail to do is we just want to, you know, we, we, we explain away our, our job, which is to contend for the faith, as it mentions over in Jude verse 3, uh, our job of, of pursuing unity, because we don't create opportunities for those occasions. All we have are these uncomfortable moments where we know that it's not the right occasion. You know, it's it's really comes down to I think I mentioned this a moment ago, uh, the long term view, the long term view, uh, and 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 being intentional and moving with a strategy, uh, of of how I'm I'm going to approach somebody, uh, being thoughtful, of uh, looking, praying for those right moments, to where we can just plant those seeds, and I I think this is something that takes sometimes in some cases years decades um, to, to do. And we need to be prepared for the long haul. And so that, look, I, I think if somebody walked up to you or me and they just out of the blue started saying, hey, you're wrong here, 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 and here, what, what would be our reaction? We would immediately shut that down, wouldn't even give it a moment's consideration. So what makes us think that when we go up to another person and do that to them, that they're automatically, oh, yes, that's the truth. Oh, I have been wrong. I immediately am going to change. Uh, people, we, nobody does that. Uh, or I, I guess maybe it's not fair to say nobody, but most people don't do that. Uh, it, takes, it takes time uh, in, in a relationship to get people to think in that regard. 
What a wonderful discussion. We talked about so much more that unfortunately had to be cut for the sake of time. But I hope what you've heard today has challenged you to be more focused on unity, which requires you to do the work of creating opportunity for discussing God's word with others with right relationships and appropriate occasion. I hope that this episode was beneficial to you. Discussing these big words can be daunting, but I hope we helped you gain some much needed understanding. I especially hope you can use what we've discussed today in some way to grow in your faith. Make sure to tune in to Thursday's episode where I dig even deeper into our word of the week. If you've not already, subscribe or follow Preach Impediment so you don't miss a single episode. We also have a Facebook discussion group you can join in discussing these great words of faith. Leave us some comments there and give us a rating on your podcast player. And most of all, if you're willing, share this podcast with others. The more who hear it, the more people who will be prepared to better understand God's Word. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.